Amen. Thank you, Liz. Well, good morning, Grace Church. How are you? Good, good. Good to see you. You made it after last night, Hallapalooza. Anybody got that candy hangover? Anybody? No? Just me? Cool. I started stealing my kids' candy already, so I'm just preparing for Halloween night. I can't wait. Well, hey, I'm glad you're here. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors. We're closing out the vision series today. Uh, so far, we have covered a lot of ground. In the first week, we looked at Nehemiah, and we said a lack of vision can be deadly. In our lives, in our church, this is a big deal. And then last week, or uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Jeremiah and how we said as a church, we need to be for the city, seeking the peace of the city, not against the city, but, but wanting to see it prosper. And then last week, Pastor Scott made it more, uh, a little bit more you know, applicable, where you talk about the practical nature of this is how do we become a rebuilt people. And so today I want to continue the story, but I want to talk about it more personally and more in our own like journey in the story. And if this were to have a name, it would be called like the story of patience, the story of urgency, the story of patience and the story of urgency. Now, when I talk about our story, I think quickly, many of us are coming at this from different places and different timelines and some of you are new to grace, and you may not know that I am also new to grace. Uh, so next Sunday will be the two-year anniversary from when I first preached here at Grace Church for like my, my uh, audition sermon. Is that the right word for that? I don't know. Uh, but I had applied for the job, and then two years ago Sunday, I came in and preached, and I had this whole sermon ready. Uh, it was very intellectual. It was about like the, the story of the church in different ways. And uh, my lovely wife, Amy, was like, you can't preach that sermon. It's not any good. And... Uh, she says that from time to time, which is good. And so she's like, you got to change it to this other way. And so I changed the sermon to another way. Um, so if you don't like me being here, you can blame my wife, Amy. She, she, she helped this arranged marriage. Uh, this is definitely an arranged marriage. And a fun fact, 96% of arranged marriages make it in the world. Uh, Google that. It's real. So if you, if you just aren't married and want to just pick somebody and go for it, 96% of the time it works out. Y'all are a data-driven generation. I'm just saying, look at the data. So <clears throat> it's just real. Now, I'm, I'm fairly new, two years. I went on our church website, and I looked. Seven out of our 13 staff members have been on the team for less than two years. Uh, our elder team is less than six months old. So we are a new team doing a new thing. And so just by a connection here, how many of you have been coming to Grace Church for less than two years? Would you raise your hand? Yes, my people. What's up? Welcome. <laughs> I feel you. Okay. How many of you have been here for more than two years? Yes, you are few, but you are mighty. You're my people as well. Don't feel left out. We love you. We're glad you're here. We're standing on your shoulders. But for the last two years, we've been doing a new thing here, and it's been interesting. So if you're here today, it's your first time, like you came from the Halloween candy last night. This is a good time to be here because we're going to talk about where we're headed and what's going on, and you can break up with us today if you don't like us. This is good news. And if you want to break up with us, there's only one way Christians break up with other Christians. Just say God told you to do it. That's it. So if, if, you, if you're here and you're like, I never want to come back, just blame it on God. It'll be great. Uh, or you could say, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's, it's me. God really just wants me to work on myself right now, and it's just not going to work. Um, Swipe left, swipe right, whatever your language is. I don't know. I'm just telling you. It's a good time to be new in Grace Church because we're talking about all the stuff. So uh, it's been two years or so. And in the interview process uh, of leading up to this, uh, I was serving in Washington State for like 15 years. I grew up in Texas. And the, the, they would ask me, the search committee and the elders would ask me, Josh, what's your vision for Grace Church? 
Uh, we would have coffee with people. What's your vision for Grace Church? And time and again, I would answer the same question the same way. I would say, I don't know the vision for Grace Church. I don't know, which, by the way, is a terrible strategy if you're trying to get a job. That's not what you say. If you're like, What's your, where do you want to see yourself in five years? I don't know, man. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, but I, I meant that. I believed it. I was like, I've never been to the church. I've never been to North Park. I don't know yet. And then I would kind of transition and say, but here's what I believe, that Jesus has a vision for every church. That Jesus has given the vision of disciple-making for every church that's ever been established. And so I believe that we have been ordered by our commanding officer to obey him in making disciples. And so I don't know Grace Church and how we're going to contextualize that. But I can tell you it will be central to the church because that was Jesus' vision for the church. And so when we talk about Grace Church doesn't have a mission, God's mission has Grace Church. That's not just some catchy phrase. We actually believe that. We believe that we're walking in obedience to what King Jesus has commanded us. And so over the last two years, I've been trying to balance the urgency of making disciples with the patience of what it takes to make this thing sustain. Now, I have been here for two years. And over that two years, I've learned about the church. I've prayed with many of you. I've had dinner with many of you. I've gone to your house. We've gone on retreats. We've prayer walked this neighborhood multiple, multiple like once a month, we prayer walked this neighborhood and I've gone on more retreats and talked to more people. I've visited you in the hospital. I've been around, and we've, we've collectively learned the story. And, and it's starting to feel like God has positioned us as a people and this building as a place in North Park uh, to borrow some language from Queen Esther, like for such a time as this. It feels like we can do something for God's glory. Over the ta- last two years, it's been bubbling up. I'll, I'll have conversations with Pastor Scott about how to be creative in the way we use our building, and what if this was a coffee shop, and what if this was a counseling center, and both of us would just get really excited about what God could do in our building, or I'd talk to Pastor Jesse about making disciples in the context of house church and transitioning connect groups to house church and, and leading uh, more people to Christ in that way, and Pastor Jesse and I would just get so excited about that, or I would talk to our uh, director of missions, Shauna, about how we can be more active in the nations and sending people overseas, both long-term and short-term, and we would get excited about that. I'd talk to Matt Thomas, the chairman of our elders, about our building and what it could be like, and we would get excited and I went on a hike with Yo. He's one of our elders. He's been here 19 years. And Yo's one of those guys that likes to go on hikes. You know those guys? Everybody needs a friend. I'm like, hey, let's hang out. Yeah, let's hike together. I was like, I was thinking coffee and comfortable chairs. But Yo wanted to hike uh, Cowles Cal- Mountain. Cal- How do you say that? Get, yeah, that word that you spelled funny. Takes like a couple hours to get up there, <laughs> if you're me. So... He wants to hike that, and we hike, and we get up there, and on the top of the mountain, Yo starts to tell me about a vision God gave him a couple years ago, uh, a vision where he was, he felt like the Lord showed him, like, hey, things are going to fall, things are going to be broken, uh, but I'm going to rebuild stuff, and he saw this, like, shining crown of glory on our church, and he's like, God's going to take us to a place where we shine brighter than before, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Yo, that's so beautiful, and so we'd get excited about what that could possibly mean, and then Lois Stalo, the, the old, oldest member of our church in terms of been here the longest, she, she brought me a pamphlet of our missionaries that we've supported over the years, and I would just get excited, and it was really clear that something was brewing in our midst, and God was doing something in us, but I would still hear this, be patient, be patient. So we patiently changed the way Grace Church went through preaching, and we started preaching books of the Bible, and so we got the Gospel of Mark in front of us for like a year and a half. And I was worried that you guys wouldn't like it. 
And instead of not liking it, you like went out and bought those Gospel of Mark journals and showed up at church like ready to hear from the word. And if I ever skipped anything, you'd meet me in the lobby and you'd point out and be like, hey, bro, what's up with this passage? And I'm like, you need to leave me alone. Stop judging your pastor. I'm doing the best I can up there. I don't have a thought on that. So it was different. It was different than I thought. We would talk about prayer and fasting and, and the church was hungry to pray and to fast and we would talk about launching these house churches, which had a little bit of, of, of transition pain, but ultimately it started leading to some of the most meaningful relationships in the life of the church were, were forming in house churches, and people were sitting in circles and eating food and crying and doing life together, and it was beautiful, and we'd talk about soul care, and people were hungry to jump in and help out in the mental health crisis, and God was stirring something in us. There was, there was something brewing among us, and we were, we were becoming a rebuilt people, but we were very far from being a rebuilt place. If you looked at our campus, no one would use the word rebuilt to talk about the state of our campus. So I want to tell you a part of the story that is true. I'm about to tell you a true story. I need to tell you it's true because when I tell you, you're not going to believe it's true until you go back in your memory and say, Josh told me this was a true story. So everything I said before was also true, but this is like really true. Here's a true story. The Lord was doing a new thing among us. But around us, so many things needed attention. You would look at our facility and just feel overwhelmed. My first day on the job, December 6th, at 4 p.m., we get news that it's raining, and there is an active leak at the preschool where the, the roof is leaking through a roof and landing on our preschool director and her team. And so I, I brought a photo. This is, I'm seven hours on the job, and I'm taking photos of the roof. There's the next photo. It shows you a little bit more where this has actually fallen down. And the final photo shows you there's some uh, bins down there at the bottom catching all the water. And that's, that's our grand strategy. So um, <laughs> I took these photos and I'm sending them out to the pastors and the elders. Um, and there's crickets, crickets in response to me. No one's, no one's really responding. And it, it's almost like this moment where you uh, get initiated onto a new team, where it's like, hey, uh, Josh, welcome to the team. We will be doing nothing about that leak. <laughs> But I'm glad that you saw that. Um, so our, our, our motto should have been Grace Church, where everything leaks when it rains. So uh, if it rained, we all panicked. The preschool leak, the underground, which is now our nursery where our kids are, that, that took on water. Our children's space took on water. The, the windows in the preschool leaked so bad that when the kids were napping and it rained, they woke up with wet hair. Yeah. Yeah, that's, the, that's an appropriate response. If you're like, my kids are in that preschool. Don't worry, we had towels. We would take care of it. We, we, we loved them. It was great. The plumbing in the youth building had uh, like all these papers on top of the toilets with, with like, hey, if you use the bathroom, flush three times and say a prayer. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but close. I'm embellishing a little right here, but it was close. It was close. Uh, that everywhere you looked, there was storage for, for things that, it, you, you know, existed before COVID, but then a transition, and it was like, it was like a, a, a time capsule where pa everything was put on pause. Uh, and then a few years ago, uh, if you're new, you wouldn't know this, but, but Grace Church North Park planted a church in Spring Valley, Grace East. And in order to do that, we had an outfit. I wasn't here, but the team had an outfit, an old, uh, like, like a 
like we needed a construction loan to outfit this space so that it could be turned into a church. And so we took on a construction loan in order to pull that off. And so that was also a part of it. And so that's called church baggage. So welcome uh, to the baggage of Grace Church. And before you get judgy, you got baggage too, okay? Like we all got baggage. It's safe here to have baggage. So there, there was all this vision and compelling, exciting things happening. But at the end of the day, I would find myself asking the question, who's going to fix the pipes? Who's going to make the space usable? Who's going to pay off the construction loan? How are we going to get the leaking to stop when it rains? And there'd be moments where I would tell myself, be patient. There was other moments when I would just get mad and angry at the state of our building. I would get frustrated as I walked around. You could ask our staff team. I would just be walking around counting toilets that didn't work. And I would say things like, our plumbing is not giving God glory. Our windows aren't giving God glory. The spirit of Nehemiah was alive and well in my heart, and I would walk around just mad, wanting to see things rebuilt. Now, I told you this was a true story. On Tuesday, April 25th at 9 a.m., six months ago, I stood up at our pastoral meeting with Jesse and Scott, and I was mad. I was mad at the state of our building, so I took a dry erase marker And I went to the whiteboard and I just started writing all the needs we had in our church. So I wrote, remodel the youth building, turn the cottage into a coffee shop, launch a counseling center, pay off the debt, fix the pipes, repave the parking lot, make our kids space ADA accessible, make every toilet work without prayer and fasting. (laughs) And we started throwing numbers next to all of these hopes and dreams. This This is a true story. And then we just pulled out our phones, and we added up with a calculator. We added up, what would this cost if we made this happen? And the total was $1 million. We have $1 million worth of needs around us. And in the crescendo of the meeting, I slammed my hand against the whiteboard, and I said, God, if we only had a million bucks, if we only had a million dollars, we could really move forward this vision. Then the anger subsided. The moment passed. We sit back down, and we go on with our day-to-day meeting. And Jesse pulls out his phone and takes a photo of the whiteboard. But we move on. On May 1st, a mere six days later, our site, uh, our, uh, our administrator, she gets a, a letter. Julie, she's our office administrator. She gets a letter, and she takes it to Scott. They meet at 9 a.m. And she says that the contents of this letter tell us a man named Leland Buck, who was a member of our church in the 90s, has passed away and he has left us some money. And Julie goes to Scott, and she's excited, and she tells him this, and, and she says, Scott, how much money do you think Leland Buck left our church? And Scott says, I don't know, $50,000. That, that seems generous. And Julie says, no, it's more. And Scott comes to me at 10 a.m., and he tells me, he's like, hey, a man named Leland Buck has left us a gift for our church. He's gone to be with Jesus, and he partitioned some money for his family and some money for Grace Church. How much do you think he's left us? And I said, uh, $1,000. I don't know. Never been asked that question before. So I brought a photo of Leland Buck. This this is Leland Buck. This is from the church directory from like 2001. What a guy. We should bring this back. We should have a church directory where we all stand in front of a blue background like you did in elementary school and take a photo and we should all have it at our house. We may do that. That's a great idea. So this guy went to our church for many years, and as a part of his will, he, he wanted to leave us some money. And we hear the news of this five days after the, the pastoral meeting. 
God as my witness, less than one week after that pastor's meeting, we got news that Leland Buck had left Grace Church San Diego $866,000. That, that happened, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can steal someone's treasure in heaven if they're already in heaven. So we're just talking about it, just publicly putting his face on the screen. How crazy is that? Now, you can do a couple things with that story. You can say, Josh, that's a crazy coincidence. That's on the table. You could say, wow, that's interesting timing. Uh, sure, that's, that's on the table as well. Those are options. The elders, we went on a retreat, and we just talked about how crazy this was over a whole weekend. And we would talk about dreams, and we would mention all the needs we had. And then there would just be moments where we'd be like, oh, my gosh, how did this even happen? And we were just so grateful to God. And then it was at that retreat that Jesse pulled out his phone and showed us the picture of the whiteboard dated one week before we get the news of this uh, generous gift, and the timeline was crazy. And so, so what do you do with this? Well, a couple weeks ago, I was having lunch with um, an older, wiser pastor friend of mine who pastors a church in Santee, and I was asking him advice on how to give this sermon. And I told him the story uh, of, of what had happened. And as we're leaving the restaurant, we're in the parking lot, and my older wiser pastor friend of mine. He's like, hey, thanks for lunch. Uh, just so you know, I'm going back to my church, and I'm going to write on the whiteboard all of the needs we have in our church, and I'm going to slam my hand against it, and I'm going to tell God to make it happen. He's like, so that's, that's apparently how the Lord works these days. And he's like, because and then he got serious, and he's like, man, I've been doing this 40 years. I've never heard a story like that. He's like, that's crazy. And he said, uh, he said, Josh, what if what if God is telling your church, what if he's saying, um, hey, Grace Church, I, I see you. I see your story. I see what you've been through. And, and I want you to know I'm, I'm providing for you. I'm providing for you. And I'm inviting you to join me in this new thing. So this is what my friend tells me. And uh, he's like, so good lunch. And gets in his truck and drives away. Leaves me crying in a parking lot outside of a Thai food place in Santee. I'm just out there like, oh, God. So... Uh, it's pretty overwhelming. It's pretty overwhelming to think about what the Lord has provided for us. And it's connected to the story that we're, we're walking in, the story of trying to balance patience and urgency. Biblically, this is a tension of patience and urgency. And you can make a case both ways. And some of you uh, feel this even in your own life. Some of you are very patient people, where your life motto is like, slow down, cowboy. Like, let's, take, let's think about this. And and slow down is very normal for you. And then there's others of us that feel like you were built for speed. You like want to make this thing happen. You want to go forward. You want to make it happen yesterday. And both of these groups have a leg to stand on. It's just the question of what's wise. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us there's a season for everything. You can see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are times where God tells his people to slow down and times where God tells his people to speed up. Jesus teaches these principles. There's parables where Jesus talks about farmers. And farming is slow, and you're, you're putting seeds in the ground and hoping for rain and for the sunshine. And there's, there's stories of times to reap and times to sow. And Jesus tells a story about a king who's going to go to battle, and he needs to be very careful and slow down and weigh the cost. And it's a parable connected to following him. This is back and forth. Jesus waited 30 years to launch his ministry. He was patient, and then he was urgent. So there is a time to be hidden, and there's a time for things to be revealed. And you see this. In Christ's own actions in Luke 14 and Luke chapter 9, they feel like they're two separate things. 
In Luke 14, Jesus tells a crowd of people, be careful, weigh the cost of following me. Don't rush into this. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus tells some guys, following him is so urgent, they need to drop everything they're doing and follow him right now. And one guy says, I want to go bury my dad. And Jesus says, don't do it. Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. And so even in Christ, there's this urgency and there's this patience. In Matthew chapter 24, right before what we're going to read, we're going to read Matthew 25 in just a second. Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end of the the world when he's going to return. And he talks about it like a thief in the night. He's going to show up like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. And there's urgency on how we should live as we wait on his return. And then in Matthew 25, he tells three parables in a row. And so if you have your Bible, you can grab it. Matthew 25, verse 14. We're going to look at the parable of the talents or the parable of the gold bags. But this is, a, this is a parable where Jesus is communicating to his people how they should live as they patiently await his return, how they should steward their resources in light of that. So this is like 12 verses, 14 verses. So let me read this to you. Jesus says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five bags went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more bags. But the man who had received only one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them, The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with these five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Now come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then... The man who'd received one bag of gold, he came forward. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servants. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and I gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put your money, put my money in deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. Now, we love Jesus' teaching, but this, this is the hard part. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For, whatever, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There seems to be in this parable a significant reality to what's been entrusted to us and what we will be held accountable to at the end when the master returns to see what he's given us. There seems to be in this parable an expectation to those who has been given that they would leverage that for getting God glory. And so this is a very simple principle, but I just want to say it to us plainly. Jesus is asking us, all of us, to take what we have and maximize it for his glory. That should be a life principle for you and for me to look at our money, our resources, our our physical bodies, our homes, our children, like everything we have, we should be looking at it in a way of going, God gave this to me. 
God entrusted this to me. I don't own anything. I am only a steward of everything that God has given to me. And Jesus is clear. I will be held accountable to how I steward what he has given me. That's actually not scary. That's comforting. That's comforting to know that he gave me this. The the story is beautiful. Everyone has a talent. A talent is high value. These gold bags... Uh, this, this was equivalent to like 20 years of wage. One commentator said this would be like a modern day $1 million. So this is not a small amount. Even one talent would be like a $1 million. This is a lot. So even if you say I've only been given one, that's still a lot. And the issue in this story isn't how many talents. It's what did you do with it? Did you maximize it? Did you invest it? Did you leverage it? Or did you bury your talents because you were afraid? Because the The truth here is that Jesus has given all for us, and now he's asking us to give in return to him something that he's given, he's entrusted to us, so we should be maximizing it and giving it back for his glory. And this is something we should think about individually and corporately. Uh, Theologian D.A. Carson, he says this, he says, it's not enough for Jesus' followers to hang in there and wait for the end. They must see for themselves. They must see themselves for what they are. They are servants who owe it to their masters to improve what he entrusted them. Failure to do so proves they cannot really be valued disciples at all. At the end of the day, the wicked servants failed because they thought the work was just too hard. They were afraid. They thought it was too hard, so they buried it. And this is the comforting part of this text. This is where I go, and this is so beautiful. This is clear that God gives us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. That's the thing that we should realize. It's it's not like they needed more. It's what they had from God was enough to do with what they'd been called to do. God gives us everything everything we need to do what he's called us to do. But this is the tension. I think so many of us feel like we're afraid to maximize our gifts so it's easier to bury them or not use them or feel confused about them. And if we are not careful, Grace Church, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we will passively go about preserving our lives instead of urgently go about maximizing our lives for God's glory. We will passively get stuck believing that surely God's not going to hold me in account for the things I've been given. Surely my calling isn't something to maximize for my glory. Surely my money is not to be maximized. Or corporately, surely our building, you know, it's just an old building. Church isn't really a building anyways, it's a people. And then slowly you start to speak a language that says, I'm just going to preserve And you would think that's okay, but in this passage of Scripture, Jesus comes on so strong and says, no, I've given you something so that you can give me back glory for the thing that I've given to you. I expect you to generate a return based on the gift you've been given. It's beautiful. This is so comforting. And what he has given us is enough to achieve what he's asked of us. Did you know that, church? What God has given you is enough to achieve the ask on your life. It is enough, but it's clear in the text. We're not all created equal, and that's okay. There's no issue in the story about that. There's no comparison. There's no envy, but the expectation is the same. Are you being accountable with what you've been given? And the comforting part is that this this is not so much about salvation. This is about glory, that we've been entrusted talents. We've been entrusted gifts. And we need to find ways to maximize them for our glory. So you take what you have, whatever you have, and you transition it to leverage it for God's glory. Take what you have, transition it, leverage it for God's glory. And you do so with urgency. Uh, This this story of the talents has kind of captured our imaginations. And we started thinking about 
uh, another story of, of a ship that was made in the late 1800s called the Queen Mary. This was a luxury liner designed to get 3,000 wealthy patrons back and forth between England and New York City. For 13 years, this ship served as the quintessential greatest boat ride across the sea, and it, it existed for the comfort of its passengers. There was a certain sense of, of pride you would take to go on this cruise line, and the whole thing was designed for your comfort and your care, and everything was built to meet your needs, and that's what the Queen Mary existed for. But it was a massive ship with all kinds of opportunity. But the purpose of the ship was get 3,000 wealthy patrons across the sea. But then something happened in the 1930s. The Queen Mary had a different purpose. For six years, the military called upon the Queen Mary to help transport troops. And all of a sudden, the ship that could host 3,000 people turned into a ship that transported 15,000 soldiers at a time. Why? Because the whole ship was turned upside down to accommodate a mission that was given by its commanding officer. It could no longer be what it once was because of the urgency of the mission. You can still see the Queen Mary today. You can go on a tour. It's, it's docked in Southern California where you can go, and some parts of the Queen Mary still look like the luxury liner for historical reasons. And there's other parts where there's bunks, eight, eight bunks high, because it's designed to accommodate a mission. And the primary reason that this thing was shifted is because of the urgency of the battle. That there was urgency. You could not be patient anymore. The time for patience was over. We must, row, we must throw eight bunks high and get these guys across the sea because there is a battle at hand. And we as a staff team felt like this is a fitting example for us as a church. So we put before you being a rebuilt people in a rebuilt place. Well, what kind of place? Our imagination was drawn to the kind of place that looks like an aircraft carrier. Not a cruise ship designed for our comfort, designed to accommodate our needs, not a battleship designed to fight the big bad world because the world's the enemy and we need to fight it all the time. That's, that's not our mission. But rather an aircraft carrier designed to extend the mission, to receive people, to send people out. Think about house churches that come and they go from this space. Think about missionaries that come and go from this space. That we could be this place of equipping, place of receiving, place of sending, a place of ultimate hospitality. A place on the open ocean where you're glad to see that if you're in an airplane. You go, if I land there, I'll be taken care of. It's not perfect as a metaphor, but it is fitting for us in this moment. So as we thought about this series and we started thinking about all these metaphors, this is where we landed. That God is asking us to use this building for his glory and that he's going to hold us accountable. And it is not our hope to preserve with passivity, but rather to move forward in urgency. So here's the invitation to you, Grace Church. It's fairly simple. Will, will you rebuild with us? Will you help us rebuild this place into an aircraft carrier that can be leveraged for God's glory and for the good of the neighborhood? And in our, in our creative meeting, uh, when we started the vision series, there was another name that this series almost got called, and that name was Get Your Ship Together. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll, it'll, it'll set in in a second. Why? Just keep thinking about it. Um, so I know some of you are like, why didn't you call it Get Your Ship Together? That's like a much better understanding of the needs around here. Get Your Ship Together. And some of you are like, if you'd have called it Get Your Ship Together, I'd have to leave the church. Because the word ship is really close to another word, Josh, that we don't say in my family. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's so fitting at the needs we have. It's so fitting. It didn't win. 
And I actually wasn't in that creative meeting when that, uh, when that idea got voted to be number one. So when I came back, they pitched it to me, and they wanted it to remain anonymous. And the guy that created that still wanted it to remain anonymous so we wouldn't tell you. Uh, but it, it was Scott Laughlin. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was 100% Scott. He was the brains behind that operation all the way. They thought it was brilliant. Uh, I, I cast that vision to the elders, and it was awkward silence. So, <laughs> but we got to have our cake and eat it, too. Look what we just did. We shared it with you. So it's good. Um, one of the other ideas was calling it a million bucks, like a play on Leland Buck, like a million bucks. That didn't work either. Right? But that was kind of good, decent. So we landed on a rebuilt people in a rebuilt place. That's much more mature of us. It has a little bit longer staying power. I get it. But, but the truth remains. Uh, we, we, we need to get our ship together, and we, we need a million bucks to get our ship together. And the truth remains that this, this is on us, and we have some hopes and dreams that we need your help in walking in, and we believe that God has given us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. And so one of those is uh, we're planning and scheming to move to three services in February. That gives us kind of a lead up to Easter, and I know even now we're starting to feel uh, the closeness of everybody sitting next to you. I know some of you are like, man, this guy next to me is too close. Like, I understand that. We're trying to create space. I told you one week, I came up to give announcements. I went back, and someone was sitting next to my wife. Like, my seat was gone. Was like, some random dude just sitting next to Amy. I'm like, it's cool, man. I'm with her all the time. It's great. You... We need to make some space, and we, we hope that more people would be welcomed into our church by, by doing that. But you can't start a third service with magic. You need people. You need more people serving the kids' space. You need more people making coffee. You need more people serving on the setup and teardown team. You need all these kind of things, and someone's got to get up earlier to be here earlier. All of this has to happen. And so next week, we're having a, uh, a volunteer fair where you can go out and find a place to serve in our church. And so if you're not serving, we invite you to simply ask God, where can I serve? God, where can I serve? And some of these require skills. Some of them are uh, what we call unskilled labor. Like, you don't have to know anything to serve in these places. Someone's got to drive the parking ride. Someone's got to do the, all these needs. And this is ultimately going to lead to more new house churches being led. We need more equipped classes. We have so many needs. And everybody's got to play. On the aircraft carrier, everyone's got to participate. So you ask the question, where can I serve? You start there. Secondly, we believe that God has given us clarity about using our building for the good of the city and for his glory. We want every toilet working in this building. We want every window capable of keeping water off of children's heads. We want every shingle secure on our roof. We want every room fully functioning for the glory of God. We want to create a coffee shop right here that welcomes people in our neighborhood with live music, and it's a hub of life. And it's not a Christian coffee shop. So many of you have asked, is it a Christian coffee shop? No, it's just a coffee shop on our property that we become landlords of that serves really good coffee. And when people travel to San Diego, you go, where do I get coffee in North Park? Man, believe it or not, there's a church parking lot that has the best coffee in North Park with the best vibes. And you start to go, well, what do I do? You'd be a Christian at that coffee shop who's not a weirdo engaging with the neighborhood in a way that shows them that Jesus is glorious and good and worthy and satisfies and all that stuff is possible because we have a place, a place of community. And that's what we want. And we want to see, by God's grace, a counseling center where we can fight back and, and refer people to counseling right here, led by people who love Jesus and want to see the mind of Christ ruling in the church and ruling in the world, the mind of Christ being available. We want to have an office space that's available to 
to train interns and church planters and missionaries and house us. And if you were at Hallapalooza last night and you picked your eyes up for a moment, you got to see a glimpse of who we could be. Over 600 people came to the party that we threw. And it was the best party in North Park. If you were driving up, you were like, what's happening at Garfield Elementary School? People were walking up like, is this really free? It, it, it was really free. It wasn't free, but it was free to them. It was, it was not free, though. So we'll, we'll get to that part. But it was beautiful to see this is the kind of people we want to be. This is the kind of place we want to build. And we want to do it on our campus. And we can do it. We believe God is leading us to do it. But we need help. But here's the glorious truth. God and Leland Buck have put us on third base. And now we're trusting God and you to help bring it home. So we are asking you not only to prayerfully consider serving, but also to prayerfully consider giving. We're asking you and me to give a year-end financial gift to the Rebuild campaign. So we have a website that you can go to right now. It's gracesd.com rebuild and get all the information you need. But listen, this is different than your typical tithe or your typical gift to the church. This is a one-time, year-end gift that we are from now till January 1st. So for the next two months, we are believing God for $150,000 given to the Rebuild campaign through our church. Now, this is, again, done in many different ways. 30 of us could give $5,000 and get this done. 30 of us could do that. 30 families give 5000 bucks. 30 single people, whatever, 5,000 bucks, it could happen. Or 300 of us could give 500 bucks. Just this service, about 300 of us. If we all gave 500 bucks, we could get it done right now. Or one of you could come forward and say, Leland Buck has inspired me, I'll take it from here. <laughs> that, we welcome that too. That's on the table. You have not because you asked not. One of you could do this. You know you could. So listen, we're We're excited about this, and you should be too. I can peacefully and joyfully bring this before you because I believe that God is doing something that you should want in on, and I should want in on. You go, if you get excited about a coffee shop, give towards this. If you're excited about the next generation of children and youth having a place to learn about Jesus, give towards this. If you have a burden for battling the mental health crisis, then give towards this. If you want to help us get out of debt, if that's one of your core values, that you hate debt, which is a great thing to hate, by the way, like if that's your value, then give towards this. If you want to help make our kids' space ADA accessible, then give towards this. All of this is included in the vision, and all of this is an invitation for you and for I to participate. And listen, it's not about the amount. It's about participating with the right heart and a willingness sacrifice. It's not about the amount. We already know that one of you could do this for us. So it's not about the amount. It's just about us participating. We saw this in the parable of the talents. That they don't have the same amount, and God knows. And maybe you're here, and you're like, Josh, what, what could I give? Like, I, I'm already struggling. We got Christmas and Thanksgiving coming up. Like, what could I give? Listen, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus sees a widow give two copper coins and calls a halt to everything going on in the temple and calls attention to this woman who gave so small but she sacrificed, and she was radically generous, and God saw that. And so listen, whatever you can give before the Lord is an act of obedience and an act of worship, and it is not too small. Our amounts will be different, but our hearts should be the same. We should all want to participate in the rebuilding of this place for God's glory. My wife and I, we're talking about it. We're praying, considering how we can give, what we can do to participate. Our elders are praying, considering how to give. Our staff team is praying, considering 
how to give. And we just ask you to join us. We ask you to pray, to truly go before the Lord and ask him, God, where could I serve in the church? Where could I use my talents in the life of the church? God, what could I give to help see this thing rebuilt? At the end of service today, we're going to invite you to go on a tour of our church building. Uh, We have all of the places marked out. We'll have staff members all over the building for you to engage with and just see what's going on around here. And on the back, we have these questions where you can ask, where can I serve? Where can I give? What can I sacrifice? And I want you to consider that. And here's my hope, that as you walk around our building, kind of like prayer walk touring our building, my hope is that your mind would start to wander about what's happening and what's possible in these spaces. And you go to the cottage and your mind starts to wander about Bible studies that will be happening on the deck of that coffee shop and about conversations that you'll have with your friend who's exploring faith inside that coffee shop or your mind will start to wander about what's possible in the counseling center. And your mind will start to wander about what, what it will look like in this neighborhood to be more open and more accessible and more available for people to come. And you'll start to have a heart that breaks for the city. And you'll start to be reminded of God's call on us to seek the good of the city, to pray for the good of the city, and think to yourself, I want to join in on that. I want in on that. So that's the ask before us. We're going to give you some time even right now to to just prayerfully consider this. We want God to be the one that lays this on your heart. And so the band's going to come out, but here's what I want you to do. Would you just take a breath, stay where you are, and just start to pray, God, what could I do? How could I serve? God, what could I give? And then we're going to trust that between you and the Lord, everything's going to get figured out. But I want to pray and then ask God to meet us in this place. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you've been doing in our church. God, I stand before you blown away by your faithfulness to us. Blown away by the vision you've given us. Blown away by the way you provide. Father, we're thankful But we also know that you've asked us to participate. So God, would you help? Would you help our hearts know what you want us to give, where you want us to serve, how you want us to join in? God, would you speak to us today, tomorrow, the next day? God, would we take this paper and put it on our mirror and just consider these things and let you speak to us? Father, we're asking that you would carry this thing fruition. We're asking that you would move in our hearts so that we could obey. Would you do that for us, Lord? So church, would you just take a moment and pray on your own, and then the band's going to sing in just a minute. You don't have to stand up right away. You don't have to move right away. Just maybe the band sings over you, but just take a moment to ask God, how can I participate? can stand and sing whenever you're ready, but don't rush. Just engage with the Lord. Ask him how you can participate.